Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. I want to know where the adult uh, prize is. I'm looking for that after the service, so we'll keep our eyes open. But good to be with you this morning. Happy Fourth of July. I, I wore my red, white, and blue shirt, um, but I actually think this is more black than blue, but you get the idea. We're, we're kind of close. We're kind of in there. Uh, Angie and I have been enjoying uh, going around to restaurants, and, and we've continued to hear about Joe's Barbecue, and uh, many of you are giving us uh, ideas of different barbecue places, but we've gone by Joe's about three or four times, different times of the day, different locations, and every time there's a line out the front door, and uh, some of you have said, don't worry, it moves really quick. I'm not buying that, okay? Uh, I am not good at waiting in restaurant lines. Whenever I pull into a restaurant parking lot with the, the kids in the back and I see a really busy front door, I'll, I'll, learn, I'll turn around and say, hey, one of you jump out, get in there, get our name on the list. See that family of eight over there coming across the parking lot? Beat them, get in there, go, go, go. And uh, they, they never go. Um, so we end up kind of wandering into the lobby and, and looking for that table. It uh, sometimes looks like a pulpit. It's about the only other place I think you find wooden pulpits is in the restaurant lobbies. And and on that pulpit is the book of life, right? Where who's in and who's out? Who's got a table? Who doesn't have a table yet? And I want to get my name in that book of life. And, uh, and then they give you that little red disco coaster thing with the red lights, you know, and you got to wait. And the waiting begins. You guys have all probably been there. And it doesn't matter if it's a 15-minute wait or a 60-minute wait. We don't like waiting in the restaurants. And, and when you're in there, you're scanning the lobby, and you're saying, okay, who got here before us? Who came in after us? And if somebody that came in after us gets seated first, injustice. I am going to throw a fit, you know, and, and you're, you're keeping tra tallies and track of that because we don't want to wait any longer than we need to. There's a limited number of tables. We know that there's an order to this. And, you know, maybe it would help if the, the hostess came out to me and, and let me know. Um, you know, when I check in and get that little uh, buzzer, I sometimes like to use a made-up name. Uh, so they'll say, you know, how many in your party? I'll say five and what's the name? Uh, let's go with Snow Crab tonight. And that's the Snow Crab family of five. And uh, so, you know, they'll come out. Uh, it would be nice if they would come out and say, Mr. Snow Crab, or, you know, this other family called ahead of you. And so we're going to seat them in front of you. And, and we hope that's okay. And then I could look, you know, upset and disapproving and then, and then soften and say, that's, uh, that sounds okay with me. Thanks for asking. Uh, but nobody ever asks, you know, if it's okay to wait a little bit longer. No one asks if, they're, if you're all right, if you have to wait, because they know the answer. We know the answer. Nobody wants to wait longer than they have to. We don't like waiting. And it, it doesn't matter if it's uh, at the grocery store or the movie theater um, or at the stoplight. It, it frustrates us. It angers us. But there's times when we wait, and it, it's much more significant, the waiting, much more challenging for us. I don't know if you've ever waited for a doctor to come back with the results of a test that you've had. Or when you're waiting for a, a, a child to join your family. Or maybe when you're waiting for justice for those who are abused and forgotten. Or, or waiting for a relationship to turn and become something deeper, something more significant in your life. Or maybe you've been waiting uh, for the application to get submitted and to hear back if you've got that job because bills are coming due. Or maybe there's a, a season in your life when, when someone hurt you, when you were betrayed or rejected, and, and it hurts in your heart and you're waiting for that to feel better. And it just seems like it's not changing we don't like waiting. The Bible is filled with people that waited, and they had all sorts of reactions to the season of waiting for them. Some trusted, some were frustrated, some rested, others were tested. Uh, they didn't enjoy the waiting either. It's never easy to wait. One person who had to wait was King David, the second king in Israel. 
and several periods of his life were just seasons of waiting. He was anointed as king, but he didn't actually become the king until 20 years later. It took two decades of waiting. During that time, the first king of Israel, Saul, began to chase him and, and want to end his life. And so for eight years, he ran from Saul, town to town, cave to ta- cave, just waiting for Saul to give up. And then the greatest enemy in his life, the nation of Philistia, it, it just was always behind in the background his entire life. That first battle with Goliath when he was younger, 55 years until he had a final battle and there was peace in the land between Philistia and Israel. 55 years of waiting. David, he, know, he knew what it was to wait. He knew what it felt like and the struggle of it. And so he wrote, wrote in Psalm 13 these words. And just listen if these words resonate with you this morning. Lord, how long must I wait? Will you forget me forever? How long will you turn your face away from me? How long must I struggle with my thoughts? How long must my heart be sad day after day? How long will my enemies keep winning the battle over me? Lord, my God, look at me and answer me. You ever said that to God? Look, look at me right here. Give me an answer, God. Give me new life or I will die. Then my enemies will say, we have beaten him. They will be filled with joy when I die. That guy, he's at the end of his rope. Now, David didn't die in his waiting, but it was hard for him. He didn't understand. He struggled with the waiting, but he didn't give up. How was he able to do that? Well, it brings us to our story this morning. We're going to look at the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, we have, we've looked at the story of Abraham and Isaac. We've looked at, at Jacob and his grandkids' blessing. We looked at Moses and the shrub that was on fire. Today, we're going to look at Hannah. So if you've got your Bible, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, open up that Bible app. And uh, kids, if you've got those bags and you older kids, uh, pull out the little sheet that's got the six boxes on it. There's six stickers. We're going to put those together in order and tell this story. And um, you can also pull out that little bingo board. We're going to work on that too. Listen closely as we do this. First Samuel 1 is really the origin story of Samuel. Samuel was uh, the hero of Israel, and this is his story, how he got started. Uh, he was really the, the final judge leader of the people and the first prophet's king. And Samuel helped uh, the people of Israel move from a theocracy to a monarchy, fr- from a community of people that were following their creator God to a, a nation that was following a human king. And Samuel uh, led the people through that process and stood with them and for them. And he was their hero, game changer in the history of Israel. And his mom struggled to bring him about. There was a struggle, and that's the story we're going to look at today. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's start with verse 2. We've been introduced to Elkanah, uh, Hannah's husband. Verse 2, Elkanah had two wives, one called Hannah and the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So kids, that first sticker, older kids as well. Uh, Elkanah's in the blue, Hannah's in the red. They're sitting next to each other. Put that in that first square. And we also got the word meat if you're playing Hannah's bingo board, okay? Meat was mentioned. This is fun, isn't it? Uh, So get that marked off on your sheet. Okay, first thing that stands out to me in this story is that Elkanah had two wives. Two wives. In our understanding, our cultural norms, this is somewhat out of line. 
of our experience as Americans. Uh, I've heard of the show Sister Wives, right, on uh, TLC or Discovery. I don't know which channel it's on. Uh, but this was, this was not the regular expression of marriage in our culture, so that just stuck out to me. In Hannah's day, uh, children were critical to passing on uh, the family legacy, to passing on the family land and, and wealth and, and the name of the family. So when a, a man and a woman got married, one of the first things they wanted was kids to pass on their name. And also the children would later take care of them in an older age, and so that was also a motivation for them. A wife that could not have children uh, was, was moved into like a second-class citizenship. She was seen as, as lesser than. Uh, it was an embarrassment in this ancient community that if a wife couldn't do the very thing they believed that she was created for. And because of this unjust cultural norm, men who would marry a woman who couldn't have a child, they would look for a second wife then who could produce children for them. And that's what was happening in this story. Hannah wants desperately to have a child for her family and also for her standing in the community. But the reality is she can't. And so her husband marries another, Penina, who's able to have kids. God's best for humans, we know, is, is one man and one woman, but we don't always live out God's best. And, and since we don't, there's hardship and pain, and, and we see that in Hannah's story as well. The second wife, Penina, is not kind to her. So look down at verse 6. We'll continue reading in verse 6. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Um, this other wife, Penina, she, she made Hannah angry. She persecuted her. She teased her. Have you ever had anyone that just gave you a hard time, and the more and more they pushed you, finally you broke down and got upset, got angry, started to cry, and it just seemed to ramp them up. Like, that was like, all right, I'm going to hit you even harder now. That's what Hannah is experiencing here. Penina wants to see her broken down and sad. Well, why is that? It could be uh, Hannah was, was her husband's first wife, we see that Elkanah saw her as special. He brought her a double portion of the meat. Maybe he loved her a bit more. Pretty clear why God said marriage is best between two, not three, right? Another paraphrase of the Bible puts it this way. But her rival wife taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in, never letting her forget that God had not given her children. Hannah was waiting for a child to be given. She'd been waiting so long. Most believed it wasn't going to happen, but she continued to hold on to hope. And, and as if her own sadness wasn't enough, now Penina comes along and begins to rub it in her face, teasing her constantly. Lord, how long must I wait? Will you forget me forever? Those words, Psalm 13, come back to us. The truth is, Hannah was, was not forgotten. God was there. God understood what she wanted. He was walking with her, waiting with her. God provided Elkanah and, and, and his kindness to her and that double portion of meat, but she wanted a child and and her heart was broken. And to be honest, Elkanah's response wasn't all that helpful. Strikes me as the typical guy, right? Honey, why are you so sad? You got me. What's the problem? You know, check this out. Why, why are you sad and downcast? It sounds like, sounds like guys to me. We're, we're some, somewhat a bit shallow emotionally sometimes, guys. And 
there's times when Angela is expressing her concerns or her needs to me, and, and right away I get on the fix-it side. You know, I, I'm thinking of three or four ways we can solve this problem, and I can't wait to tell her all of my solutions. Sometimes I'll even interrupt her and say, hey, I got, we got this. We got this covered. She's not interested in my great ideas. She just wants me, wants me to listen. She wants to know that I'm with her in it, that I understand, that, that I'm going to walk with her, that she's not alone. And uh, that's what Hannah was looking for, not just some great ideas. So her husband's response doesn't help, and it's only going to get worse. Look at verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give to him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. Verse 12, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but there was no voice to be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. If you've got the Hannah bingo card in front of you, you found the words bitter and razor. Pretty key words in this section. Bitter and razor. Hannah was bitter and broken. No one seemed to understand her pain. And God, the one who could make a difference for, for her, seemed, seemed distant or seemed to be silent to her. But she had faith. She continued to bring her request to God. Here's what I need from you, Father. Here's what I'm asking. Would you provide a son for me? She continued to speak to God about it. There's one commentary I read, and it said this. Hannah had every reason to be bitter. She was incapable of bearing children. Penina ridiculed her. Elkanah was unable to comfort her. And Eli mistook her motives. Yet rather than capitulate to her emotion, she let her circumstances drive her to prayer. Hannah's profound pain prodded her to an abiding faith. See, Hannah understood something that's important for us to hold on to today. What she understood is that God's delays are not his denials. God's delays are not God's denials. When we face times in our life when we are waiting, and I believe we have all had seasons of waiting in our life, when we're in that holding pattern, God has us in that not to be mean. He is aware of our restlessness. When we are waiting, we are not wasting time. God's delays are not his denials. With our Heavenly Father, the waiting can create holy space for him to bring comfort, to bring correction, to, to provide for us in ways that we wouldn't be even be aware of if we weren't waiting. His delays can be used by him in powerful ways. No one likes delays. We live in an instant world filled with instant food, instant noodles, online banking, quick promotions, rapid returns, quick turnovers, and, and delay is uncomfortable for us because of all that. We're wired up for speed in many ways, and and the delay can be hard for us. God has his own timing in our lives, and he has these divine moments for us in the waiting. Sometimes I wonder if God doesn't experience us in different ways when we're waiting. Like when we settle down, we're available to him in a different kind of way than we are when we're hurried and we're busy. And maybe God creates times of waiting for you because he just wants to be with you in a different way because he knows that you're going to be open to him in a different way. His delays are not denials. Through the delay, he is building our faith. He is strengthening our character. And Hannah is experiencing that. 
She makes a promise to God. She says, if you will provide a son to me, I will entrust him into your care. He will serve you all the days of his life. No razor will touch his head. Well, what's that all about, right? This is another cultural norm for them that was different for us, different practices and social cues. For the Jewish people, there was a vow you could take called a Nazarite vow. And when you took a Nazarite vow, you meant, I'm not going to I'm going to make sure this is fulfilled, that this promise comes to pass, and I'm not going to cut my hair until that happens. It was a way of making a promise to someone. And so until I pay off that debt, until I come back from this, this, this journey I'm going to go on, I will not cut my hair, I promise. And so if you were to submit yourself to God and say, I'm going to serve you all my life, well, that's your whole life. You're not going to complete that task until you die, so you wouldn't cut your hair. Uh, it makes me wonder what bald men did. You know, how did they, were they able to make this promise? Or it make, takes me back to last year during COVID when all of us had our hair grown. And maybe we all looked like we were taking Nazarite vows, right? When all the great clips across the country were closed and we couldn't get our haircuts. Um, Hannah's promise, she says, if a son's given, he's going to serve you all his life. And then she um, is observed by her spiritual leader in that community, Eli, the high priest. He sees what's happening. He's watching from a distance. He sees her lips moving. Um, and her eyes closed, and he sees emotion just pouring out of her being, and he assumes that she's had too much alcohol. Kids, find the picture of lips on your bingo board, the lips. You can cross that one off. We covered that. The leader of their faith community, the one who was supposed to be closely in tune with God, aware of what was happening among his people, uh, he can't figure out that Hannah is, is struggling in her faith with God, that she has a need in her life, that she's crying out to God for help. All he sees is a woman who's had too much to drink. And he says to her, stop getting drunk. As if things weren't bad enough already, right? Penina is cruel and hurtful. Uh, her husband, Elkanah, seems to be distant emotionally. And now Hannah's pastor tells her to stop abusing wine uh, because obviously she can't control her emotion or her addiction. Strike three, right? I, I mean, I would be done. Be like, all right, I'm, punch my card. I'm checking out. Eli is watching her lips and he's missing her heart. He's just watching the externals, and he's, seeing, he's not seeing what God is doing inside of her. But God is aware. Look back here at the story. Verse 15, we'll finish it up. Verse 15, Eli says, put away your wine. Verse 15, not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. I'm so glad that Hannah stood up for herself, you know, that she corrected Eli. She said, hey, I'm not going to take it from you too. I've got everybody else coming at me. You need to know what's happening here. She makes sure that he understands that her emotional behavior isn't because she's been drinking. She's emotional because she's been waiting. She's been waiting for hope and strength. She's been waiting for God's promise and God's plan. She's been waiting to be released from the abuse from this other wife. She's been waiting and persisting. And Eli seems to wake up a little bit. He begins to pay attention. And he says to her, well, then go in peace. Go in shalom. The word shalom is what he says there. Shalom is this idea of completeness, of health, of quiet, of, of safety. Go in connection with God. Peace. Peace is what we need when we're waiting. When we're in that season of waiting, we need God's peace. When we're waiting, we don't need someone throwing accusations at us. 
We don't need someone who's cruel to us. We don't need pinning us. When we're waiting, we don't need someone to fix us. We don't need someone's great solutions. We don't need Elkanah. And when we're waiting, we don't need someone to say to us, just get right with God and everything's going to be okay. We don't need uh, some trite religious slogans that really don't help us, that lack the depth that we're looking for. We don't need Eli. When we're waiting, we need peace. We need God's peace to settle down all around us and bring us strength. I'd like to hear how God has brought peace into your life and your season of waiting. I, again, I believe all of us have been through times of waiting, and I would love for one of you to share a story this morning of how God brought peace to you as you were waiting, as you were in that season of waiting. We can't hear the whole story. I've got about two minutes, but, but I'd love for one of you to be willing to come up here. We got a mic and just say, here's how God brought peace to me while I was waiting. Is anybody willing to do that this morning? Share their story with us. It's scary. I'm up here, though. I'll be with you. How has God brought peace to you when you were waiting? Anyone want to share? Put that hand up. I'll bring the mic to you. You don't even have to stand up. How about that? Meet you halfway. Okay. Thanks, Amy. Many of you know that I was three and a half years unemployed. And if you've been unemployed for a month, you know how hard that is. Mm. Um, and throughout the whole time, my faith became stronger. My, my trust in God became stronger. And many of you know the verse, um, Jeremiah 29, 11, where God talks about the plans he has for your life. Well, then I got my job, and it wasn't too much longer after my job that my Bible just opened to Jeremiah 29, 11, and I was reading that verse, and I heard a little snicker, and it was the snicker of God saying, I told you this, <laughs> and so that was real comforting to me, and now I look at that verse a little bit differently because we always look at it waiting for God to answer us, knowing that he has a plan, mm -hmm. but now I look at it and going, okay, he promised this, and he's, he's fulfilled his promise. Great, thank you. So this shalom, this peace that God wants to bring, it, it carries that idea of completeness, of things being together. And so Paul would write to his friends in Philippi, and he'd write these words, I'm sure that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He will carry it on to shalom. He will carry it on to peace. The waiting will not uh, will end, and, and, and God will walk you into that new thing that he has for you. In the waiting, hold on. God's delays are not his denials. Psalm 13, David wrote, Lord, how long must I wait? And God helped David grow through that and experience the new thing he had for him. And David was able to come through that season of waiting. How do I know he came through it? Uh, because in Psalm 40, he wrote about the other side. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire of waiting. Um, I added that little part. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Now next week we're going to look at one of David's stories and, and how God, he, he learned very young that God looks at the, outside, uh, at the inside while we as humans look at the outside. God looks at our heart and he knows what's going on inside. And David said, God, you were with me in that waiting and you saw what I was going through. And David says, in the waiting, God did three different things for him. First, God lifted him up, gave him a different point of view. 
even though he was still waiting, he was able to see things in a different, from a different perspective. God put his feet on firm ground. In the chaos of waiting, sometimes just having some place of security to stand, maybe God's grace or love for you, being reminded of his, his community here that stands with you, there is a firm place for David to stand. And the third thing is that God put a new song in his mouth. Instead of a dirge, he was singing celebration. Uh, you know, instead of uh, the negative, there was positive. For me, it's like instead of country music, he was singing disco. Okay, that's how I <laughs> see that part of that. The music of celebration. May you find shalom in the waiting. Hannah had to wait, and God brought her through and provided her a son, and she named him Samuel. And he became the leader of Israel that brought them through a very difficult season. And he led them, and he pastored them, and he shepherded them, and he was a prophet to them. And because of her faithfulness before God, she brought this hero of the people, Samuel. May you find shalom in the waiting. May you find that the delay is not a denial. It is sacred space where God is working and growing you deep in him. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful that you are here with us. That no matter what season we are in, that you are with us. And I pray especially for those, Father, who are in a season of waiting, that they would experience your presence this morning, that they would have a sense of your grace and your love for them, that they would be reminded today that you are good and faithful and that as they wait, you are with them and you have a purpose and you have a way through. Father, would you change our perspective? Give us a different point of view. Would you anchor our feet down on the firm foundation of your love and grace, the way of Jesus? And Father, would you open our eyes that we might see that you are here in our waiting and put that new song in our mouth. Father, we're so thankful we can receive communion together today. As we, as we prepare for that moment, would you speak to our hearts right now? Invite us, Lord, into your presence. Invite us into song. It's in Jesus' name we pray.